It can be easy to get discouraged about an emerging generation of young people who don't seem very interested in the Christian faith. But really, there's a lot to be encouraged about. And you'll hear more today on Focus on the Family as we have practical ideas to help you, uh, to help your teen follow Jesus in this digital age. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Hey, John, as a father of two young men, uh, this topic of how young people and faith coalesce is so close to my heart because we're living it right now. Gene and I are diligently trying to raise our sons to be men after God's own heart. Some days we feel like we got a home run. Other days it's a strikeout, right? And I think listeners feel the same way. Uh, We're competing with a lot in the culture right now when it comes to the existence of God, a life for him. What does it mean? And today we're going to discuss some wonderful insights from two experts that will give you uh, a parenting tool, many parenting tools, to have discussions and to engage your young person in a way that I think will be super productive. Yeah, there's a lot of encouragement here. Our guests are David Kinman and Mark Matlock, and uh, together they've written a book called Faith for Exiles. It's about how to follow Jesus in the current culture. Uh, David Kinneman is the president of the Barna Group. He's an author. He has uh, surveyed some one and a half million people over the years. Mark also works with the Barna Group and lives in Texas. He's written a number of books, and uh, he's spoken to over a million teenagers. So these guys know what they're talking about, and both are married and have young adult children. David and Mark, welcome to Focus. Thanks. It's nice to be here. It's good to have you. Yeah, glad to be here. Well, um, you know, I'm looking at the book and reading it and doing the prep for the program, and I'm excited because I am living this, like I said in the beginning there. I mean, this is where we're at. I know many of the listeners are there, and it's going to be really interesting. Let's start with this idea of digital Babylon. What does that mean? I think I get it. And here's the other great thing, John. These principles are going to apply to all of us. I mean, I think we're all living in a Babylon type environment right now in our culture. So whether you are aiming this at your children or yourself, this is how you grow in Mm. Christ, but go for it. Digital Babylon. Yeah. So, you know, the the work of Barna is to try to understand culture. And so this million and a half interviews, I feel worn out just hearing that number. (laughs) Uh, It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people to survey. (laughs) And we've had telephone interviews and online interviews and focus groups and qualitative interviews. And so we're, we're listening to culture to understand what's happening. And um, when we've done all this research, I've tried to then interpret that for families and leaders and parents. And for me, I, one of my favorite heroes of scripture is Daniel. And so over the last 10, 12 years, I've really focused in on the world that this emerging generation is living in and trying to compare that to the story of Daniel. And so one day I was doing a radio interview and I said, you know, it feels like this generation is like, they're like exiles in, in Babylon, like digital Babylon. And, and so that sort of stuck, it was about eight, nine years ago. And for me, that phrase, digital Babylon, you know, Daniel learned the language and literature of Babylon for three years and, and more. He's apprenticed. He becomes very influential in that place where faith is foreign. It's on the sidelines, his, his faith in Yahweh. And so digital Babylon in today's context is the power of screens, the power of these devices, the power of smartphones, apps that we use and social media and the connectedness of this generation that's more connected than ever, but also less connected or lonelier than ever. So really it's the story of the influence and trying to parent well uh, in this digital age. Yeah. Mark, as you've worked with Barna and David, obviously, you've identified the idea that you know the the consumption by young people of digital resources is i mean astronomically high 
And, you know, as a parent of teens, it's hard to get a grip on that because they use it for entertainment, edutainment, you name it. Screens are just ubiquitous in the culture. What are the numbers like and what are we facing? Well, when we look at, you know, kind of what's going on right now, we've seen how the Internet and social media has disrupted just about every single industry, any, every sector that's out there. But the one question is, how has it really affected the church? Right. How has it really disrupted what's going on there? And one of the things that we looked at as we were looking at the volume of screen hours compared to uh, other experiences that young people are having is that screens disciple. And I think when David and I typed those two words next to each other, we were kind of like the weight of them was so heavy mm. because I realized as someone who's led small groups at my church for you know a couple decades that this is what I've been facing is normally if a student was you know, uh, considering doubting God or his existence, they would come to me and say, you know, I've got some questions about God, but now they're going to Google first and they're having a secret conversation with somebody else who's discipling them. And then they're coming to me and saying, hey, I don't believe this. And they're coming out with a statement more than a question. Mm -hmm. And they've already been formed. And uh, and so they're coming and they're arguing with me. And I remember this one exchange that I had with this young man who I'd seen been born in my church. So I knew he grew up and I thought, he's he's arguing a little bit smarter than he really is capable of. So somewhere he's getting these ideas. And I Googled a couple ideas that he had shared with me. And sure enough, this website popped up how to debate a theist. And he had absorbed this information. And so even though he was in my small group, for months he had been absorbing this to the point that he could argue it back at me. And so by the time I enter into the picture, I have a lot of work to do to undo the discipleship that's already been done away from the Lord. Well, and, the, and what you're really saying there too is parents have to be on their toes. I mean, if, if their kids are doing that. And I, you know, again, there's a lot of positive things to digital, uh, you know, telehealth and all kinds of examples where these things are actually quite positive in our life. But it's that abusive nature of it. Uh, well, it's just being really, aware of it, that yeah. it's happening. Because for me, I was looking at all the signs. Hey, this kid's coming to church every week. Right. He's worshiping. He's going on the mission trips. But there was another journey in his interior life that was going on that none of us were aware of until he chose to reveal it. Yeah. And so I learned how to ask better questions, uh, how to probe a little bit with my own children um, to find out what's really going on under the surface. What are you thinking about? What are you wrestling with? How do I create a safe space so that you will talk to me about what you're really thinking without being afraid that I'm going to come and slam you yeah. for your, you know, for, for the ideas that you have. And that's really this, this challenge of discipling in digital Babylon, this tension that we feel when you're in Jerusalem and everybody's kind of uh, thinking the same way, discipleship's easy. Everything's supporting that journey. Right. When all of a sudden you're outside of it, there's a new challenge going on. And that's kind of frames what we're looking at in the book. Well, one of the things that is so fun about this book and this study, I've spent 12 years plus really studying the disconnection journeys. I did a project called You Lost Me that was really about the stories of a loss of faith. Mm -hmm. And so this project was really about the resilience of faith and the good news. And, and I actually think we're here today to talk so much about what we love about millennials and Gen Z. We're, I'm 46, Mark's 51. Uh, as you say, we've got tw I've got a 21-year-old, uh, 19, 16. And, and it is true that there's a lot of strong correlations with the more 
screen time, uh, the, the, the challenges, but this is a message that's more about just like how do you monitor the screen at time or the, the apps they use because we are all going to live in a screen-driven age, whatever age, you know, when your kids are, are going to get their telephone or when their smartphone, when they're going to get, you know, online. It's, it's a big, bad world out there, and we have to figure out the way of strengthening faith so that they can live resilient lives as Daniel did in, yeah. in this current sort of experience. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting, we're, we're you know, so uh, much an advocate for the sake of what this generation is asking of the church and the, and the deeper answers yeah. that they're asking for. And I us. so appreciate that because I'm excited for this next generation. I, I'm not down on it. I think God's putting both orthodoxy, speaking truth, and orthopraxy doing truth mm -hmm. together in this next generation. Yeah. And it's exciting when that happens. That's but, the full package. But it but is rare. It is rare. And it, for parents, it's terrifying sometimes <laughs> um, because we are going into some uncharted territories, you yeah. know. But, but we're trying, this is a personal project for us. We're not just some researchers going, hey, this is an interesting subject. We're like going, we care about our kids. We want to see their faith be resilient in this world because they're going to live in a world that's unlike anything well, we've ever lived in. And that's a nice setup because the next question I want to ask you just to provide uh, kind of the personal bona fides that you bring is the fact that you've done this with your kids. Uh, David, in your case, your daughter chose UC Berkeley. And I'm telling you, these are the kind of conversations going on in the home. I mean, Gene and I have had the same discussion. Yeah. We want our boys to go to a great Christian university, Biola somewhere, yeah. where they could also get biblical teaching. But that doesn't guarantee anything. I mean, it's nice and it maybe is predictive, but what happened in your case? Well, uh, it was a, a crazy set of discussions that my uh, daughter and my family had um, her senior year, junior year, senior year, and she applied to 27 schools or whatever it was. And she's a science whiz. Yeah, yeah. She's really interested. She's studying molecular cellular biology. Huh. I'm just amazed I remember those three words in order. <laughs> uh, and um, and so she, she was really interested in a mainstream school. You know, I went to a Christian school, Christian university. My wife did. And, um, and so we, we had this great discussion about what she wanted and where she was going. And, you know, like I had to realize in, in those discussions that it wasn't my vision for her future. She had to live into, you know, God's calling. We, we prayed and I, I, I was so touched by the Lord in that period of time because my heart was completely, you know, Berkeley is the last place you're going to go. You can, you can have that as a safety school on your list of 27 schools to apply to, but that's not going to be a place you go. And over the course of about seven different things, the Lord really spoke to me. This is a place for her to go. And her faith, her faith has actually grown stronger in that environment. Um, now, my middle daughter is at Biola, and you know her faith is growing strong in that environment. But you're you're right. It's like just because they're in the outward trappings of a Christian environment, just like Mark was saying a little bit ago, just because you're in the building, in the youth group, in the Christian university, part of this message of digital Babylon is that screens are influencing us in deeper ways they're becoming our our counselor our best friend our sex educator our you know confidant and so we've got to recognize that even if they're in the building even if they're in the program they may not actually be with us in terms of heart and mind and soul and it's really important uh, it's hard to let go and let god take over your child's journey mark you had a similar situation not long after david dropped his daughter off yeah, at berkeley the same weekend uh, <laughs> he was in he was dropping her off in you know, the bay area and i was in new york city in manhattan dropping my daughter off at Parsons School of Design, where she was going to study fashion, and um, you know we were we were concerned. Like, what will this world be like for her? You know, uh, I'd grown up. I went to Biola as well before David did, and um, I was 
you know, wondering what kind of support system will be around her. How will that influence her? So growing up in California, I wasn't in the Bible Belt, but my daughter grew up in the Bible Belt. And so I was a little worried because she'd always kind of push back a little bit on things and was always asking deep questions about faith in God and his existence. And that's because you're in Texas. Because we're in Texas, right? We're in Dallas. We're in the Bible Belt. Yep, in Texas. And I'm going, what's it going to be like when she goes to New York? Is this her hand on the door moment? Because we've been studying generations, realizing there's a generation that has their hand on the door of church. Is this my daughter's hand on the door moment? And... um, what happened was really interesting because in some ways, like David's daughter, um, she, for the first time, saw the potent impact of having Christ in her life. She started seeing how light shines in dark places. Because of the discrepancy, right? Because of the distinction. Yeah. yeah. She was having a hard time seeing in the Bible Belt, frankly. Yeah. And uh, she was kind of like going, wow, you know, what's going on there? And I remember being at Rift Valley Academy, uh, talking to some seniors, and there's literally a wall around that school. And I said, what is it like, you know, growing up and going to school inside a wall? And one of the seniors told me, it's like being a candle in a well-lit room. Mm. And that image really stayed with me, this idea that when we're around people of faith all the time, sometimes we don't see how impacting Christ is in our life, in the world around us. So for my daughter, this really started a, an incredible journey and awareness of just how deep her faith went and how effective it was uh, in life. Uh, gentlemen, in your research, you identified four different uh, Christian exile types. Let's get into it. Uh, what were those four and what did they mean? Yeah, so as researchers, we love to put people into buckets. We don't <laughs> call those people the names in the research, but we use survey data to help us understand a person's spiritual journey. So it's a, it's a fun job to try to really understand where someone is at based on not just are they in the building, in the church building, but you know, can we understand their, their heart set, their mindset, and their beliefs. So I've been studying, you know, uh, religion in America for 25 years and doing this with, uh, with with the Barna Group. And so with with young adults, we we were trying to understand the spiritual journeys of people who grow up Christian. Um, and so we interviewed 18 to 29 year olds and we asked them to reflect back on their teenage years and where they were today. And so we came up with four buckets, four categories. The first group are the resilient disciples, and that represents one in 10 young people. And these were people that believe in the authority of Scripture. They believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they want their faith to matter in the world. And so that was our definition of a resilient disciple. And that's, you know, what we're here really talking about. They actively engage in a church as well. That was another. That's right. Yeah. And that, that's only 10% of people who grew up Christian and right. as teenagers, which is should be a really sobering, you know, yes. finding for us. Uh, because it really tells us this is not easy. As Jesus says, you know, it's sort of easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But we could also talk, we sort of paraphrase that. It's easier for a young person to grow up as Christian and then sort of walk away from faith and to really have resilient faith today. Yeah. And so that was the first group. And and most of our work in this project was understanding what makes for resilience. So that's the first group. What are the attributes of that group? That's yeah, right. I get that. What are the other three? Uh, the second group was habitual churchgoers. And that that rep- sounds bad, but what are you driving at? Well, these are people that are active in faith. They attend church. They call themselves Christians. They love Jesus, but their other factors about their faith are much diminished. They don't have the same orthodoxy of beliefs. Uh, they're really they're sort of just like 
Christian in church going only. Is that often the phrase of being a societal Christian, a social Christian? I think so. And I think this pandemic is really affecting a lot of these habitual Christians who are who are going to church out of habitual reasons, but they're not they're not really deep in the word. They're not sort of people of prayer. They're not engaged in Christian community outside of it. Uh, so that represents about 38% of young people. Yeah, that's sobering. But what's great about that is we have 38% that are in the church within reach. But if we can have those conversations, if we can disciple them in this area of resilience in digital Babylon, realizing and engage that they're within reach, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the encouraging part. And of again, all of that. These, these are 18 to 29 year olds. 18 just to, to make sure the audience hears that. Yep. All right. What's the third one? Uh, the third group is what we called um, nomads. And this is the individuals who say, yeah, I'm still a Christian. They just never show up in a church. That would have been like Mark talking about this person who's got their hand on the door. They have walked through that door. They still think fondly about Jesus. They sort of say they're you know, aligned to Jesus, but they're, they're really cultural Christians. Okay. Uh, and then the final group are what we call prodigals. And fascinating is 22%, one in five, 18 to 29-year-olds, uh, twice as large as the young resilience say they're no longer Christian. Now, here's a fascinating... But one time I identified as a Christian yeah. and I no longer do. I've got yeah. the questions lined up, so go for it. Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's fascinating because 10 years ago when we did the Ulosophy Project, that number was only 11%. Huh. And so over a decade, when smartphones rise, when it's the gospel according to YouTube, you've got all these pressures, you've got this huge disaffection, a huge loss of faith among this generation. So the, the people who have lost their faith um, is growing yeah. uh, to 22% today, one in five, whereas as, as sort of con to contrast that, the 10% who are the most resilient in their faith. What in that group, you know, again, I'm speaking to parents and I really want them to be equipped to maybe even change their strategy uh, about how to engage their young people spiritually. But what were the kind of top one or two reasons for that disaffection, that group and the prodigals? What did they say? Well, it's a, a range of different reasons. The church is anti-science, the church is repressive, the church is judgmental, it's hypocritical. We see a huge correlation to, and I wanna talk about this really just sensitively and humbly, like self-righteous Christianity. Uh, where we make Jesus all about following rules, and we make, you know, it's like Jesus is just as concerned with our self righteousness as he is in, uh, in unrighteousness. Right, in the there's world. two prodigals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The older brother is also a prodigal. That's exactly right. Exactly. Right. And so um, we see a lot of rejection of that kind of, you know, older brother Christianity in the stories of these people. And I just want to sort of say to parents, and listeners who are, are going through that, you know, we've interviewed people, it's a heartbreaking piece, but there's also hope. Um, and there's this real sense of, I've got this sort of sacred job of listening to people who've lost their faith. And I consider that a real privilege because I, I respect and honor every person's story. Of course, I don't agree with the spiritual conclusions that they've come to. But, but I think to parents who just, we grasp on so tightly to the faith of our children because we think it reflects on us. But you know, it's, it's a really important realization in this data that you know, there are a lot of people who lose their faith and God still cares about them. You can still pray for them. You can still ask the Lord for wisdom about how to speak to them about spiritual things. But it's also like, it's okay to let the Holy Spirit do you know, uh, its work in, in the lives of our children, yeah. uh, even when they've lost their faith. Okay, look, we've set the groundwork. We're just at the end of the program here. I want to mention uh, the five practices that those 10%, that resilient uh, disciples 
possess. And we're only going to have time to cover one of the five today. But what are the five and what is the first one in more detail? So the five themes that we found that were true of resilient disciples. And when you look at these five themes compared to the other profiles, there's a huge difference. There's a huge gap between them. It's not just a minor difference. Like, right. significant. Oh, it's significant. And it's, it really is remarkable, especially between the habituals and the resilience, because they're going to church with about the same frequency, but they're having really different experiences. Yeah. So uh, the first one is experiencing Jesus. The second is uh, meaningful relationships. The third is cultural discernment. The fourth is vocational discipleship. And the fifth is living in countercultural mission. Hmm. So those are the five kind of practices that we saw in those resilience. Yeah, and let's get into the first one. Let's experiencing Jesus. What does that mean to those ten percent? Well, and just to put a, a little coda to the description there is that um, what we learn is that you know trying to develop resilience isn't as simple as do these three or four things, right. but it's a it's almost like guidelines and guardrails. These five themes. The more of it you do the more resilient your faith is. As yeah, you this said. is brilliant. And so what we find in this study is this idea of clearing the religious clutter. Um, there are things that we do that have sort of lost their meaning or have lost their meaning in the lives of the discipleship process that we're intending to have for people. So how do we help people root their identity, not in you know their gender or their the, the team that they root for or their favorite outdoor brand, but in, in who Jesus is and what he says about us. And so we find that it's actually a really rare thing. And most people say, yeah, I've got the Jesus t-shirt, but I don't actually really love him. I don't hear him speak to me in a real and personal way. So you know, one great example of how we as parents and others can influence uh, this next generation is just asking the Lord to speak to us and demonstrating this notion of, of our lives being open to the Lord's leading. And I you know, tell the story of, of Emily and I it was like, you're not going to UC Berkeley. You're not going to UC Berkeley. And it was like, okay, well, let's just ask God what he thinks. And so... <laughs> was that her saying that? Yeah, exactly. Oh. And so, I love that. so, you know, the over a period of several weeks, I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to really ask you for your wisdom. And there were like seven things that were really miraculous as the Lord showed me. And I just wept when I sort of was like, this is actually where God wants my daughter to go. And so we have to demonstrate that um, an actual trust that a real God is speaking to us as parents. And it's not about controlling our kids, about you know influencing them towards Jesus, but that might actually be about more influencing us as their parents yeah. than it is about them. So this idea of allowing God to speak into our lives, that's a good example of experiencing Jesus. Well, and I want to jump in because what it demonstrates is humility, which the scripture is so precise on that pride kills us in so many endeavors, whether it's our business or vocational efforts or our parenting. And what a beautiful example as a parent of being humble and listening to Emily, your child, say, Dad, let's let's pray about it. Let's talk to the Lord about it and see if he agrees that it'd be okay for me to go to Berkeley. <laughs> I mean that I could there's two ways you go at that point. You either humble yourself or you dig in with prideful parenting and say, no, I know what's best for you. I know that's not going to be a good environment. You're not going to go. And the Lord's saying, whoa, whoa, back up. Do you trust me? And I think about the faithful decision we made then because it was not easy and uh, dropping off Emily at school. And, you know, she's an amazing kid. Um, but it's a uh, 
more than a kid. She's a young lady now, and I just admire her so much. But I think yeah. about the the week before we dropped her off, and a little bit of a personal story for us is that my wife's been struggling with brain cancer for three years, and and she had just come through some surgeries that summer. Was really having a hard time keeping track of just details, and yeah. and the the most lucid moment that my wife had was praying for her daughter to go to Berkeley mm-hmm. uh, the the weekend before we dropped her off yeah. um, during that stretch of time. And so it was a, it's pretty amazing the, the way God's faithfulness shows up when we do choose to uh, allow him to speak into our lives and then we're obedient to that. Well, we've so appreciated David's vulnerability in sharing with us along the way today. And uh, David Kinman and Mark Matluck have done a wonderful job with this book, Faith for Exiles. Once again, it's aimed to help young people live out their faith in the culture, and uh, we covered one of the five attributes of a resilient Christian. We'll come back next time and cover the other four. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. This has been such a timely program. There are many challenges facing teens and 20-somethings in the digital age. But this has been so helpful to us as parents to be intentional about discipling our teens and preparing them as they live for today's culture. One free resource that I want to recommend is a video series titled Raising Your Kids to Defend Their Faith. In this series, Natasha Crane encourages parents to learn about the truths of Christianity and how to answer common questions about the faith. It may seem intimidating at first, and it'll definitely take some time and practice. But if you ask God to guide you, the Holy Spirit will be with you as you learn. You'll find this video series online at safamily.co.za. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Graham Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, hoping that you'll join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.